Hello, everybody. This is uh, Andy LeBeau of Commodity Research Group, and I'm joined this morning, February 1st, by Marty Stetzer, the president of EKT Interactive, and also my partner, Ed Meir of Commodity Research Group. Ed was recently named the number one base metals analyst in the world by uh, Metals Bulletin. So congratulations, Ed. And uh, we're going to talk this morning about, first we're going to talk about oil, uh, and then Ed is going to talk about platinum and uh, palladium, as well as give a, he's going to give a, a quick overview of, uh, of the macro as, pertain to, uh, as pertains to uh, commodities in, in general. So we'll look forward to that. But first, it's petroleum. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Andy. Nice to join the two of you today. I'm looking forward to hearing Ed's insights and congratulations, Ed, on being number one. So let, let's start with, uh, we'll, we'll talk briefly about the, the numbers that came out this week and then head into the, the big headline item, which is uh, Venezuela. I thought the numbers were bullish. They showed crude up about a million barrels versus the market expectations of uh, 3.1. And crude, if you look at crude divided by uh, crude runs, which is equal to day's supply, is 26 days versus uh, 27, the, the four-year average. So we're, we're, in, we're in pretty good shape in terms of of crude supplies. The big surprise was that gasoline drew by 2.2 million relative to uh, expectations of a 3 million bill. Gasoline is still a big problem though. We have too much in, in inventory and gasoline margins have, uh, gasoline cracks have really, have really weakened. And globally, this is, if you were to point to one big negative factor in the petroleum complex, it would be uh, a surplus of, of gasoline. In terms of diesel, diesel stocks drew by 1 million. The market was looking for a build of uh, 1.2. Diesel, in terms of day's supply, is, is still low. It's at 35 relative to the four-year average of uh, 40, so five days below uh, the four-year average. Total inventories. Uh, drew finally after after weeks and weeks of builds. In fact, global inventory, uh, U.S. inventories had total inventories have built by uh, had built by 40 million barrels since uh, since the middle of December. But in terms of days supply, which is a handy number to look at, it, it's 60 days versus the the four year average of uh, 63. So overall, uh, I thought the, this single report was uh, pretty constructive, and, and actually the market's been, uh, been rallying. The, the market's taken it as bullish, but that, that's certainly not, you know, I think the, the overwhelming feature of the market, Marty, by any, any, any means. And if, in fact, uh, you know, if, if you were to look at what, what the big story is in the, uh, in the market, you know, it, it, it's Venezuela. There's no doubt that uh, that, as well as the um, continuing decline of uh, OPEC production, certainly remains the uh, the major factor. And and I'll I'll talk about Venezuela um, to to begin with, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about what what 
what's happened in uh, what's happened with OPEC. But uh, the U.S. as we all know, just just placed sanctions on uh, Petavesa, uh, which is the um, nationally owned oil company of uh, of Venezuela, and uh, Petavesa exports to exports about half a million barrels. Maybe it's declined some uh, to you know, 400,000 barrels a day of, let's say between four and 500,000 barrels a day. It's a big number, exports of crude to the, uh, to the U.S. They also import about 100,000 barrels a day of uh, diluents from U.S. refiners. And uh, Marty, why don't you explain what diluents are? Thanks, Andy. I was fortunate uh, years ago to work with ConocoPhillips. ConocoPhillips is a big participant in what is called the Hamaka Project. The Hamaka Concession is a huge area of hundreds of thousands of acres with a lot of what is called heavy sour crude. It's uh, very thick, uh, maybe not as thick as the asphalt you see them laying on the roads, but quite thick. A diluent is needed to enable, uh, was enable, was needed to enable ConocoPhillips to move the Hamaka crude from concession in a deep part of the jungle in Venezuela to the coast. A diluent is a light hydrocarbon that you basically mix with the heavy crude to enable it to flow. So diluent exports, uh, because of this slowdown, have also been decreased, I guess, Andy, right? Yeah, or they will be. So Venezuela is going to have to get that, is going to have to find the source that diluent somewhere else, from somewhere else. And, it, you know, it's not clear where they're, going to, where they're going to source it. And that may, you know, that's one factor that's going to probably uh, prevent them from quickly finding uh, other markets for their, for their crude. Uh, you know, presumably that 500,000 barrels a day, you know, they'll look to sell it to, uh, to Asia, you know, and, and there are only certain, Marty, I, 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 there's only certain refineries in the globe that can really handle that heavy sour, correct? That's correct. And years ago, before we had the shale play, the world was going to be, quote, overrun with heavy sour crude from three locations. One, of course, is Venezuela. The other is the oil sands projects in Alberta. And one of the biggest fields in Saudi Arabia is Arab Heavy, called Safania Crude. So the refiners in the Gulf Coast especially made the investments and selective investments in other parts of the world. So, uh, which brings the next, you know, which brings the next issue is how are the U.S. refiners going to, going to replace this you know, half a million barrels a day of uh, of heavy sours. You know, where are they gonna where are they gonna source uh, source that crude? And we've talked in, in previous discussions about the difficulties uh, infrastructure in moving heavy heavy crude from Alberta. So whether there'll be uh, imports from other parts of the world, or or we'll, we'll see maybe some of the infrastructure things uh, get lifted, is it remains to be seen for the refiners. Right. And, you know, the, I guess, you know, some of it will probably, whatever they have, you know, they may work, start working off inventory for whatever they have in storage and crude stocks. You know, they have 
they're, they're in okay shape. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe they'll be able to figure out how to run more lights, uh, you know, light crudes. But, you know, to me, the bottom line is it, it, it's dislocation, uh, at least for a month, you know, at least for a couple of months till, till the trade flows uh, are, are figured out. And uh, normally dislocation leads to, you know, price dislocation as well. And we've, we've already seen that the heavy sours rally uh, relative, to, relative to light. In fact, West Texas Sour uh, went premium to WTI this week, which is obviously pretty, pretty unusual. So, you know, the refiners, they, will, they, they always do figure it out. But uh, in, the, in the meantime, uh, you know, we, we will probably see some of these anomalies uh, on trading. And, you know, we may start seeing the you know, front to backs have also rallied, not surprisingly. I think that that could, you know, that could continue as structure gets, uh, structure gets stronger. The other thing, obviously, is if, if looking at Venezuela, you know, their production now is 1.2 million barrels a day. They, they've, which is down significantly just in the last year, it's probably down, you know, almost a million barrels a day. You know, they, they've got to figure it out. And until they do that, I, I would anticipate, you know, their storage is going to fill up and then production will probably has to decline further, right? Exactly. If you can't store it and ship it, you can't produce it. And the point on diluent, how they replace the uh, U.S. diluent is very important to it because it's, it's impossible to move this stuff to export unless it, unless it is uh, diluted. Right. So, you know, we'll probably see. I saw one, you know, one analyst saying that he thought Venezuelan production could, could decline, the, it could drop the entire, you know, the, the entire export number, you know, 600,000 barrels a day. I, I don't know if it's going to be that much, but yeah, in the short term, it, it's going to, it's got to go lower almost. So, you know, it, it definitely is a, a big factor. Uh, you would think, why, why isn't the market, you know, screaming here? And uh, I think the fact is that inventory is, is globally is probably adequate, you know, at average and we still have these, uh, you know, the, these underlying "quote unquote" demand concerns, which, you know, I, I think is somewhat o- overblown. But nevertheless, you know, the Venezuela, the, the entire Venezuelan situation is uh, certainly not bearish. You know, it, it, it's net bullish and probably won't become bearish until there is a regime change. Uh, and who knows how how, you know how long that'll take. And Marty, how long do you think it would take to rebuild their infrastructure? Oh, you're, you're talking, I don't know, five, three, five, six years. I mean, a lot of it is going to depend on, on whether they can get the kind of raw materials they need to, to do two things. One is improve the productivity of the fields, which have been in steep decline because they haven't been serviced. And the second is how much maintenance has been done on the actual production facilities to move the crude to, to markets, whether that be pipeline or whether that be vessels. Hard to anticipate, but you need to bring in fairly, fairly serious uh, contractors because the contracting operations in Venezuela have deteriorated over the years, just like everything else. Right. Um, it's, it's really a shame because, as you know, 
having uh, dealt with probably having dealings with Petavesa, that was that was such a great company, and uh, you know now now it's in a complete state of uh, disrepair. You know the the company and the and the infrastructure. The it's sad. Very sad. Very sad. It, you're right. It was one of the stellar global majors for decades and now to watch it deteriorated it's really a shame for the people in the industry i'm, I'm going to shift real quick to opec Produ opec production continues to uh continues to decline uh pretty pretty dramatically i think reuters today had them down from december i think it was eight hundred thousand barrels a day the saudis um you know they they had said that they were going from 11, over 11 million barrels a day in November to 10 to in January. Uh, you know, Al Fali had said that, and indeed they are at 10.2, and they're probably going to remain at 10.2 million barrels a day. Uh, there's, there's also been cuts from Iraq, uh, Iran, Kuwait, UAE. Um, so o o OPEC production, the, they are beginning to, uh, you know, the, there's, Certainly complying with the, with the deal uh, that they made in uh, in late November and Libya, you know, the market again has been so concerned with with on the demand side that it, it it isn't focusing on the fact that Libya's biggest oil field is down and that's three hundred thousand barrels a day. Uh, so three hundred thousand barrels a day—that's the number that I think demand will be cut if things slow down. And this this one oil field has been down for for months, and it's like you know the market is is not paying any attention to it whatsoever, or really for these OPEC cuts. So uh, I think things, if, if you look at the the supply demand balance, uh, they're, they're it, it's moving into balance. We were, we were in a surplus in the second half of eighteen, first half nineteen. We're moving into balance. We may get into a shortfall if uh, Venezuela. If Venezuela cuts as, as we expect, um, I'm going to take a quick shift and introduce my partner, Ed Meir. Uh, Ed, as I mentioned, the number one base metals analyst in the world is named by Metals Bulletin. And Ed is going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, platinum and palladium and the price differential there. Uh, as well as uh, give, a, give a quick overview on uh, what's going on in commodities. Ed? Thanks very much, Andy. Nice to be with you, Marty. Uh, I won't be too long. I just wanted to give your listeners uh, a little glimpse as to what's happening in metals. Uh, similar to oil, you know, we've had a very good rally in the base metals group. This is copper, aluminum, nickel, zinc. Uh, each of them are up by 5 to 15% just this year alone. And, um, uh, uh, you know, quite uh, and quite a move up from, from the December lows when everything kind of bottomed out. Um, no particular reasons behind it. I think uh, a weaker dollar is, is probably one big factor. Another factor is that despite China slowing down, and we see this in oil as well, Prices haven't really collapsed in, in the metals group because expectations are that the Chinese are going to introduce more stimulus measures. 
coupled with the fact that you know we're not swimming in in oil stocks. Stocks are uh, are pretty low across the board. Whether you look at copper, aluminum, nickel, we're, we don't have the same level of inventories we had in 2015, 2016, when when we uh, when we basically crashed uh, to to decade lows. Gold, silver, platinum, palladium—they're also up so far this year. Uh, gold and silver, not as much. Although gold has had a, a nice move on a percentage basis, it hasn't really done too much. Uh, it's up about three percent, I would say, but up uh, up nevertheless by about fifty dollars an ounce, which is a good move for gold, considering how how uh, depressed it's been recently. Silver also moving up, you know, in sympathy. We find the correlation between silver and gold to be around 90%. So the two of them definitely move together. Silver sometimes moves more with the base metals group because it has more industrial applications than gold does. So sometimes the momentum shifts depending on what base metals are doing. Platinum also up a little bit. But the big surprise last year and so far this year has been palladium. Palladium is used in catalytic converters and um, a lot of the electric vehicle batteries uh, use some palladium as well. And the price for palladium, um, this is in uh, dollars per ton, is about, sorry, dollars uh, per ounce, is about 1350 whereas platinum is about 830 so there's a $500 differential between two commodities that basically do the same thing in terms of catalytic converters the question naturally arises well why don't people use more platinum instead of palladium and for with a $500 an ounce savings that 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 adds up pretty quickly the problem is it's very expensive, as you know, Marty, to retool plants, equipment, uh, supply chains. So, you know, th- there, is, there is going to be an upfront expense in retooling uh, production lines. Some estimates have it as long as two years to get things completely shifted around. The other problem is uh, palladium has much better resistance to higher temperature than platinum does. So you kind of need more platinum if you're substituting out. You need more platinum than you otherwise would if you're just using palladium. So some of the savings goes away in that, you know, you're using more of the cheaper commodity as opposed to uh, an equal amount. So that's why we haven't seen too much shifting, uh, at least on the manufacturing side between the two components. But generally, palladium is is mainly used in the U.S. and Chinese automobile uh, uh, battery manufacturing space, uh, more gasoline hybrid vehicles. Platinum is more prevalent in Europe where there still is uh, a big share of diesel uh, uh, cars out there, although declining of late, uh, especially in the aftermath of the VW uh, dieselgate scandal. So uh, that's another reason why platinum has not really kept up with palladium. The demand isn't as strong. And finally, the fundamentals of each of these two markets are way different. Palladium is in a chronic deficit. Platinum is is in a surplus. 
So that's that's sort of a brief overview as to what's going on on the precious metal side. I think looking ahead, palladium is probably uh, quite overbought here. I think a lot of the move higher was is attributable to uh, you know speculators, ETF buying. Uh, people looking for physical units. Platinum, on the other hand, is quite depressed. And I think at these levels, a lot of the South African mine production is going to be underwater. So I'm not necessarily advocating it, but I would probably put a spread on buying the platinum, selling the palladium, uh, and with a $500 announced differential, that might be an interesting trade uh, going forward. Ed, thank you very much. That was a, quite a bit of insight for our listeners. One of the other things I'd like to point out is if you're new to the industry, these uh, precious metals that Ed was describing are also one of the biggest operating costs in refining. It's used to help manufacture gasoline and help remove sulfur from diesel, gasoline, and other products in the refinery. So the refiners will be also watching movements in the metals markets. Back to you, Andy. Okay, th thank you to Ed. Thank you to uh, Marty. Um, if you want some more information on uh, oil or uh, precious metals or precious and base metals, and in fact, any, any futures, get, you can reach us uh, either on our website, commodityresearchgroup.com. Uh, you can reach me at alebow, A-L-E-B-O-W at commodityresearchgroup.com. And uh, as always, I want to thank uh, Marty Stetzer, the president of EKT Interactive. And Marty, how, how can your listeners get a hold of you? Thanks, Andy. Uh, they can reach us at www.ektinteractive.com. If you're new to the industry and would like to learn more about Diluent, the Hamaka Project, the refinery operations, take a look at our Oil 101 material, and I think you'll find it quite interesting. Thanks for the ability to participate, Andy and Ed.